Has anyone ever shared with you the mental health trick of naming your insecurity or naming that part of you that does not serve you? And each time it resurfaces, you call it by name and you request and you tell it and sternly demand that it goes away. Hi, I'm Ludwin. I'm your friendly neighborhood widow. Allow me to introduce you to the grief monster. So before we get started, turn up your volume for the reading of the warning label. Warning! Subscribing to this podcast can expose you to segments and conversations about love, loss, physical and emotional abuse, mental health, and resilience. This podcast contains raw and unfiltered thoughts and feelings from a domestic violence surviving widow. The side effects may be unexpected anger, inspiration, self-esteem boost, and laughter so strong you may pee your pants. An open mind and a change of undergarments are suggested, but not required. And if you need to, please consult a therapist before listening. Thanks for joining. This is episode 11 and officially the 100th day of podcast episodes for you guys. I believe it makes 110 days of podcasting for me. (laughs) Boy, am I glad that you guys keep tuning back in and being so supportive and just giving me awesome feedback. And I love it. I I really do. Grief is not an easy conversation and I've oftentimes been mistaken for grim for how lightly I have sometimes approached the loss conversation. If you're familiar with my book, Not a Widow's Handbook, you have heard the following statement. Four people standing in a room, when the lights go out, everyone reacts in their unique way. Needless to say that each of our relationships with the grief monster is as unique as we are. Widowhood may have been a new concept, but grief is a repeat offender. Over the years, we've developed a style of grieving. Depending on the home life you've had, your grieving style has either been condemned or nurtured. The first time you were told no sternly, for example, that may have been the very first day you've met the grief monster. My earliest grieving memory, it was triggered by change. It was the day that we moved from a home I loved. I loved that home. I knew it. It's like a slented home where when you get to the front of our house, um, it looks like it's flat. And then when you get out of the back porch, you're like on top of the universe and you have to go down these steep steps and get to this beautiful garden that was always green. My mom had so much space for gardening. I remember being excited to move from that house, though. I remember thinking, oh, we're moving house. We're getting in your house. Yay. And I, I had these sleepless nights when you're so excited for the next day. You can't wait. Like, are we there yet? Kind of day. The adults were packing around us and telling, you know, giving us little tasks to do things here and there. I may have been nine or 10 years old. So that's why it wasn't very helpful. I just had so many awkward memories in the house. And so I thought, oh, you know, this is going to be great. We're going to go away from all of these people. I don't know. I guess at 10, I thought that all these bad people that I've encountered since then (laughs) wouldn't know our new address or something. And I just couldn't wait. Um, One day, the actual day that we were leaving, here comes a grief monster sitting pretty on my chest. We're getting the car and I just feel this instant fear out of nowhere. My chest felt so tight. Just this weird and controllable sadness just took over me. And before I could even stop it, I was crying. I couldn't control it. And my parents did not like that. I remember being asked, like, stop crying. There's nothing for you to cry about. 
And I can even explain myself. And before I could even find the strength to say anything, I'm told that, you know, if you don't stop crying, like I'm going to give you something to cry about. Like all of a sudden I hear this loud thud and then I feel this thing on my back. And it's, it's really, it was like a thud, like a, and it was the palm of a hand just hitting me right dead in the center of my back. And it just kind of took my breath away and I just stopped crying. And then I just figured I'm just, I'm just going to cry later when I get to my new bedroom. I'm just going to cry then. I never knew that I was grieving. I never knew that I was grieving what I knew. And I was actually feeling fear of this new beginning and realizing that I don't know this new house. I don't know this new situation we're going into. And that was my very first change, my my very first grief that I remember very vividly. I just never knew. I didn't know it was grief. But one thing that I knew is that it was uncomfortable for other people. It, it, it upset other people. It was uncomfortable for them. It really just wasn't even validated. It wasn't a valuable enough feeling to have for me to get the time to even express what I'm feeling. I just had to keep quiet and just be thankful. And so that was my very first introduction to how to deal with the grief monster. I didn't really get to introduce him to my family and say, hey, I've got this new feeling, new friend here that I don't know. <laughs> how do I how do I manage this? It had a name and I, and I didn't know what it was yet. I recently hosted a panel with two couples. Uh, one of the things we talked about was how they process grief individually as people. And it was really interesting to hear how other people think and, and manage grief things that I noted down was statements like showing emotions is weakness. You know, it's my own feelings. I want to deal with them. I don't want to think about it or I'm going to address everything that I feel. And it and it's four different people and couples. So, you know, each of these people are very much with a person that grieves very differently than them. And it was very interesting. And that was only four styles of grieving. And none of these styles of grieving are like mine. I was very enlightened by that. And it was a very edifying moment of our conversation because so many times we can only see grief from the way we experience it or the way we manage it. And of course, I'm paraphrasing what they've said. Their very first grief monster interaction if I have to assume that it's happened to all of us, one day in our life, this little sucker just pops up on us and he's like, what's good? I'm here. This is me. I'm the grief monster. How do you do? The response and, and how we learn to manage it, I think it's very, it's going to have to be subject to the environment. It, it would have shaped our response to grief. For me, at least, it's played a huge role in my relationship with this grief monster and how and how I used to approach it and talk to it and just feel around it. The catch, and I don't know if I can call it a catch, is that, or like the one thing that's never changing is the fact that it's very blinding. And name it because I want to push it away. That solution has worked for me as far as my mental health goes. But if I had to describe it, what it looks like, it's it's a horrible, blinding light. For me, it's that uh, moment when you're driving down the highway and there's not really lights on the highway and somebody's getting pulled over and there's like a sheriff's car that's got like the brightest lights ever and it's just like flickering in your face. You're fine, you're driving, you're cruising and all of a sudden this crazy bright light is just like flickering. 
first you have to figure out what's going on and you have to make sure that you can see the road and you're actually like keeping control of the car and you're like, okay, I'm good. It doesn't, it doesn't spare any of us. It, it, it makes sure that you can only see yourself. Like you can't see anything else around you. You can only see your own situation and you're like, am I good in this car? Like, am I safe and good? I, you're not a hundred percent aware of what's going on anywhere else. You just know like there's grief. Here is me. And I need to be, I need to make myself, I need to put myself in a safe situation. I need to get to safety. I need to pass this. I need to get past this. I used to be so angry at the people in my life. The, the And, you know, and I, I named them too, the blamers, the people who quote unquote said the wrong things. I used to think that they purposely ignored my pain. I assumed that they just wanted to open palms, slap me right in the dead center of my back and forbid me from ever grieving, forbid me for feeling. I went on like this for the better part of five years until one day I was triggered and all of that grief, all, all of what I've been hiding because it was uncomfortable, all of what I've been putting aside because I didn't want to offend all of the things that you take to your brand new bed at night and just cry it out there and never bring up and never talk about. It just came out of me. It just like flowed out of me. Like it's been on COVID-19 confinement for like two, three months. And it's like, finally you can come outside. And there goes the grief monster just shrieking down the street up and down. And I'm like, what is going on? Why are you speaking for me? And I realized that for every change that I've had, it hit me. No one gets it. And that's one one thing that's always comes back. It's whenever I'm grieving, it's like, they don't get it. She doesn't get it. They don't get it. No one gets it. I mean, I didn't even get people. And I never even realized that I can get people. I just figured you don't get it. There are all these emotions here, all these feelings that I have to sort through. You could never understand. And neither did I. Neither did I get it. And I had this list of humans who just don't get it. And I just assume who just don't care. I had a leader who I was, I was just really upset about something too. And I said, honestly, like they just don't care. And he said, you can't, you know, there's no way to measure that. You don't know how much someone's ca- someone cares. You can talk about their behavior. You can talk about their performance, but you can't tell someone you don't care. You, there's no way for you to know that. What? <laughs> All of the times that I just sat at home and wrote people off and said they didn't care, like you want me, and he never asked me to do this, but it's just me in the grief monster. I'm like, you want me to go back to these people and try and figure out who cared and who didn't care and what the intentions were. And oh, the grief monster just pops up on you whenever you least expect that he's the person that is not invited to the cookout, yet they're there and they're eating up all the burgers. I hope you're enjoying the analogies because I'm having a blast putting this grief monster in these weird little situations. <laughs> Just name it, name your opponent and beat it. Name your opponent and show him who's boss, okay? (laughs) Grief is almost phenomenal, but it really isn't because at the end of the day, we have a choice in how we manage this grief monster. Once my sister told me, you're in denial. And she was talking about how I responded to certain situations and and the decisions that I was making. I seemed in denial. My behavior seemed like I was in denial. My partying seemed like I was in denial. My excessive drinking seemed like I was in denial. It did because I would drink a lot and say I'm okay. And I would cry a lot and say I'm okay. And I would party a lot and say I'm okay. 
I would, you know, smoke more cigarettes than usual and say that I'm okay. Another thing that stuck with me for, for a very long time was when once my brother said to me, what you're doing isn't normal for a widow. And I thought, wow, like, how dare you say that to me? Like, are you a widow? You don't even know, like you're sitting here happily in a relationship. You have no idea what I'm going through. And of course, of course, because we can only hear people from the comfort of our own experience. And just like he could only speak to me from the comfort of his own experience. And while he was not a widow, he can only speak to me in the way that he understands grief is and the expectation that he's had his entire life since the very first day that he's encountered the grief monster and watched the grief monster work in other people's lives. He only has that experience to bring back to my behavior and say, what is this? You know, do I add this to my repertoire of this is how you do widowhood or do I stick to what I know and say, that's not, that's not what widow's supposed to do. What are you doing? This is unbecoming of a widow. And what is? What is normal widowhood? And what is unbecoming of a widow? What is normal grief? And what is weird for grieving? We live these symptoms, but at the core, the grief monster is is the same. And it pushes the same buttons. And depending on how we've experienced life and the environment that we've been subject to, will express it in a very different way. The symptoms will show very differently. Go back to each and every one of these conversations in which I walked away feeling like you are disapproving of my grief. You are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Undermining my feelings and undermining the gravity of the situation that I'm living. My grief is just a completely different symptom than the symptoms of your grief. And that's just what's most likely true. (laughs) I can't say what's true. This is coming from a domestic violence surviving widow from my perspective. I've found that this has been more true in my life that we, we face this grief monster, but the style is completely different. Four people in the same room, the lights go out. The first person may say, don't panic. That's who they are. That's their grief they kind of shut off their feelings and they're just worried about you. Don't panic. Maybe they got this. I don't know. (laughs) They think they got this, but it's something that I've seen where you're grieving and their, their grief is to fix everybody else, to make sure that everybody else is comfortable. That's how they manage the grief monster. Or I'm afraid of the dark. That might be closest to my grief where it's full of fear and it's and it's scary. And because in the dark, there's just so much uncertainties. You can't see ahead. You don't know what it looks like anymore. It's just dark and it's scary. There's got to be an emergency light. And this just, this is to me the hopeful person, the person that's like, there's got to be a light. There's got to be, there's, there's a way out of this. And it's the hopeful person. It's the person that that's that can see the grief monster and say well you don't belong here i got this and that is the person i aspire to be lastly the fourth person would be the person that says who's turned the lights off and that's the blamer you can recognize that grief is not supposed to be here not in your life you don't you're like no i don't want this i don't want this pain the sadness like i don't want this it goes beyond not wanting something if this is somebody else's fault and figuring out whose fault it is the quicker you figure out whose fault it is the quicker maybe you'll get rid of the grief monster that's how i've grown to understand grief it, it can be the same situation And all of you, no matter how many there are of you, and there could be four of you, and I'm sure there can be be a thousand of you, and it's going to be completely different. Look at this pandemic. All of us are living it very differently. And while even on social media, 
I do see all types of griefs. I see the people who want to share everything positive. Everything is going to be okay. Don't panic. I see the hopeful people that send you classes and get you to plan for the future. Once this pandemic is over, don't worry, you'll be ready because you would have gone through all of this. And you have the people who wear two masks, go through a bottle of hand sanitizer daily. I raise my hand because that's me who just need to feel certain of something and try to control every other aspects of their life that they can control. And then you have the people who hold on to the stigma because it's somebody else's fault. It's someone's fault because the sooner we find out who broke it, maybe they can fix it and maybe we don't have to grieve. That panel conversation I had this week, I realized that your environment can be a huge factor in that relationship with grief. What if people's intentions were actually to help in all those four cases? What if what they said and did the symptoms of their grief seem so extreme in the way that I've explained it? But what if their intention was actually to help and in their minds, this is how you solve it. This is how you solve the problem that is grief. This is how you solve loss. This is how you solve confusion and sadness and whatever other sub-feeling is there around the grief monster. Yes, grief is very personal to the bereaved, but it's the same. It's grief. It's one word and it's got multiple ways of affecting each and every one of us. And we're going to manage it the way we best know. And I think that I still manage it the way that I learned and manage it from the beginning. And so being aware of that, I learn every day to find different ways to, to grow while grieving, to grow into my grief management. I could never ask anybody to take a pause and change how they grieve. I've learned that I can make twice the effort to be patient, to be compassionate, and really to release this need of control that comes every time I'm grief stricken. The grief monster will have you think that if you do not bring the world back into balance yourself, then, it'll, then it will never readjust. Grief spends its day trying to assert control and dominance over the things that we can't control. The why me, the why them. It will convince each of us somehow that because we can't control what we've lost or what's changed or what we've grown out of, that we're incapable. And at a clumsy attempt at restoring balance, we'll try to minimize, to misunderstand, to misjudge, to overexpect other people's grief. We'll never going to understand because like I said, we're blinded. We're still trying to readjust ourselves. We don't know. All it's it's very sensory depriving and you 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 want to piece it back together. And you know, maybe if you lost hearing, you're screaming louder. And maybe if you lost your voice, you're moving your arms around, but you're trying to readjust, you're trying to figure out what the hell is going on. The grief monster is selfish and sometimes it feel like the only constant in our lives, but you lead, not grief. I lead my life, not grief. And nothing has ever been easier to tame with compassion. One way that I've found grief will bow down is with compassion. Compassion for myself and compassion for others. Whenever I encounter this grief monster, I identify it, I call it by name, 
And with compassion for myself and with compassion for others, I just mute that little sucker. Mute button. You're done. And I say this very quickly like this, like it's easy to say, but it isn't. And I realize that. It's constant trying over and over again. You know, it's constant muting and accidentally sitting on the remote and unmuting and like, oh, where'd you come from? (laughs) I thought I put you aside. Why are you here? It's not impossible. And one thing that I've realized is that the way that I've managed grief six years ago and the way that I manage it now is completely different. I'm much more self-aware. It does not make the feelings go away, but at least I'm 1000% aware of those feelings. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast. And if you'd like to get social, follow your friendly neighborhood widow on Instagram. I'll also have all of the links in my bio for the book, my journals, and my vlogging. <laughs> Join me back on May 29th when Alex Saviero, Julian Sater, Carla Montesinos, and back for more, my sister Randy Vieru join me to celebrate World Day of Cultural Diversity for Dialogue and Development. We tackle taboo conversations around racial and cultural diversity, and we chat inclusion. It's really exciting. Um, it's myself and a couple of interracial, intercultural, interreligion couples, and we have a blast. I mean. It was such an incredible conversation that we have five episodes back to back available to you starting May 29th. So check out all the details that you need again on your friendly neighborhood widow on Instagram and hit the link in my bio for more information. Thanks again for tuning in every 10 days. I encourage you to lead, to not allow the grief monster to take over your life. I encourage you to practice compassion for yourself and for others. We'll talk later, okay?